Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Patrick Janelle, influencer and founder of influencer agency Untitled Secret. Considering how 2020 flipped the fashion industry on its head, I wanted to ask Patrick how the influencer landscape has evolved and what brands should know when it comes to partnering with influencers in 2021. Welcome, Patrick. Thank you, Jill. So happy to be here. So happy to have you. Tell me the word influencer. Do you prefer creator? What do you like? Well, yeah, to be honest, I've never fully identified with the term influencer because um, I think the term both means a lot of things or influence itself could mean a lot of things and the and the way by which people influence others um you know can come about in many different ways so using the term strictly to define somebody who has a large social media following never felt totally apt to me but you know on the other hand it is sort of a term that we've all adopted and we all kind of have agreed on a common uh Uh, definition for it. So I'm happy if you call me an influencer, but I will never call myself an influencer. Probably that's the short answer. (laughs) That makes sense to me. So how long have you been, I would say, creating influencing on social media to the extent where maybe you're doing this full time, maybe brands started coming to you, however you want to tell me when you I guess you think that your influencer career really took off. Yeah, totally. I mean, if you look at this from the standpoint of calling it content creation, which I, I do call myself a, a content creator, um, I, you know, uh, this that began when I joined Instagram, which was 20, 2012, actually, the beginning of 2012. So for about nine years. Um, but as you mentioned, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't immediately that I started um, either monetizing uh, that content creation or even knowing that that was like a possible route to take. But, you know, from the very beginning, um, and Instagram is my primary platform, even though I have, a, you know, some, some content on YouTube, I have my own website, that really is the place where um, most people know me from and, um, and where I've been able to really monetize um, mostly. Um, but from the beginning, Instagram really made sense to me because I love images. I have a, I have a background in art direction, design, so I'm a very visual person. And um, this idea of being able to sort of experience a moment and instantly document it, share, get feedback was so like exhilarating to me. It's sort of something, it sort of combined my love with um, a few things, spontaneity, uh, the visual aesthetic, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie, sort of like being in the spotlight, being a performer in some ways. So uh, I, th- I really took hold uh, to Instagram early on. But it wasn't until I'd say 20, the end of 2014 or so um, when things really started picking up speed and I was a- finally seeing that this was an, uh, an opportunity that I could monetize. And very soon after that, um, an opportunity that would become a career. Um, so yeah, so it's been about, uh, you know, s- seven, seven years or so. Amazing. I like that you, you really called yourself a ham. Are you a ham? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I love, I love performing. I love being in front of people and I, um, have always, uh, you know, I, I enjoy other people. I enjoy people and the response that I get from other people. I'll say that. Totally. Well, as, uh, Instagram has evolved, to I don't have more bells and whistles and the launch of stories and the launch of reels. Has your focus moved from the main feed? And yeah, where are you posting your content? Yeah, you know, I still really focus on the main feed. I do love stories. Um, it it did take me a while after stories first launched to like really, um, really feel comfortable in that medium because as much as I love performing for 
people or on social platforms, I don't love hearing myself or watching myself. And stories sort of like force me to confront that. Whereas with a, you know, mostly static images in the feed, that was never something I really had to deal with. But, um, you know, another answer to your question is I sort of love Instagram for like the way that it was initially created. And it has always been really hard for me to kind of, um, take hold of and really embrace these new uh, tools and mediums within the platform. So for the, for all of the IGTV and the reels and the IG lives and, you know, new features that are going to continue coming out, I would not necessarily call myself an early adopter. Uh, I'm a, I'm a user sort of tiptoeing into these things and I will use the tools as much as I feel like I probably should in order to, you know, be a team player within the context of the platform. Uh, but, you know, I really do. I really, I do still focus a lot on posting in the feed and posting stories. Um, that's just like where I feel the most comfortable and where I really love content. Yeah. You used the word earlier, spontaneous. Is it just whenever you feel inspired to post, do you set kind of a goal for yourself? I'm going to post once a day or however many times a week. Yeah. You know, it, it's become more of that, you know, in the early days I was posting three times a day, you know, when the feed was still chronological for me, it really was sort of like time stamping that moment when I could say, this is what I'm doing at this moment. And sometimes it was just a sort of detail. It was, you know, my coffee from a coffee shop. It was, um, a, a kind of like corner of a table with the way that the light hit it or something. Now, because of the way the platform works, because of the different types of content, and I think because of my own personal and professional growth, I'm much busier now than I used to be. I really do have to plan it out a little, a little bit more. So I think about, you know, how many times do I want to post this week? Sometimes I even plan out uh, specific content types that I want to capture. But it does feel really good when I still have those moments of spontaneity. And it's, you know, the the city is looking a particular way or I'm up early and the streets are empty. Um, the sun is coming through the streets of Soho where I live and I'm able to capture that and have just like a really beautiful photo that I can share. Um, and when that's done in the moment, it, it it is particularly pleasurable for me. For those who don't know you, do you consider yourself a lifestyle influencer? Are you kind of focused on fashion or travel or one or the other? I would definitely consider myself a lifestyle um, Instagrammer. Like that is uh, that is my focus is lifestyle. But within that, of course, you have all of the things which compose a lifestyle. And I'd say I probably lean a little bit more heavily towards food and dining um, a little bit towards interiors with my apartment and the way that I've sort of created a space for myself and to entertain um, and travel, definitely. And then fashion, grooming, um, those those categories definitely sort of like fit within those other the, the context of those other things. Um, but I'd say definitely, I mean, people come to me all the time for my recommendations of where should they eat or drink in the city. Um, so I love food. I love eating and drinking, and that naturally comes through in, in the content that I share. Yeah. Where do you get, I guess, the most brand love in terms of uh, your sponsorships? What what category? Yeah. You know, that actually is all over the place. Um, I have worked with auto brands. I have worked with fashion brands. I've worked with um, home consumer brands. I have worked with travel, you know, um, both airlines and with um, hotel uh, brands. I've worked with liquor brands. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because I, these are all, uh, categories that I work in and, and I feel very grateful for that. Um, you know, sometimes I think about it when I'm, when I'm considering my own content, I know there are certain types of brands that I will love 
who probably the specific brand won't have um, the budget to sort of pay influencer, um, you know, in, influencer sponsored posts. So I, I'm thinking, for instance, you know, like restaurants in New York City. Nobody's going to pay right. me to post. Of course, I get invitations here and there to come visit a restaurant, either when it's opening or there's a new menu or a new chef. Um, and I'm very grateful for that too. But, you know, I like to think of that as sort of my editorial content. I really, um, I really want to focus strongly on the brands that I truly believe in, that I want to promote, that I want to document and make sure that I'm really sharing something valuable with uh, my audience and, uh, and doing that in a way that will then ultimately support all of the other sponsored content that I can, you know, sort of like fold into the mix. So, um, a- another good example is I haven't done a ton of work with large hotel chains. Um, I actually was, in the process of doing a project with Four Seasons right when COVID hit. So uh, yeah. we, we did this beautiful video and we were in, in Costa Rica and that never saw the light of day. Um, but that was, that was a situation in which I really love that brand and I value that brand and I was very happy to work with them. But most of the time when I'm traveling, I'll probably be um, looking for boutique hotels or even, um, you know, homes that I'm renting off of Airbnb or another site that I found during during the pandemic called boutiquehomes.com, with, which has like a really lovely uh, curation of, you know, you guessed it, boutique properties. So, um, yeah, so that's just like an example to say that, you know, there are certain times when there are certain categories that are like stronger when it comes to advertising opportunities and certain categories, which to me um, make for better editorial content. Yes. Has the ability to be a little bit more selective, a little bit more choosy, come with that follower count? Again, for those who don't know you, you're upward above 400K, maybe inching toward 500K. Has it always been that way where you've been um, very focused on featuring things that are authentically you? Yeah. You know, from the beginning, I was always very specific about working with brands that I truly believed in and truly valued. And from the beginning, I've said no when I didn't feel that it was right. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because when I first started, um, down the sort of like path of monetization on social media, I was in a really great place because I had really kind of like grown an audience very quickly. There weren't that many other people, uh, especially on Instagram who were doing this. So I had a little bit more flexibility, even though I was newer in being able to kind of navigate the partnerships that I was interested in because there were just fewer options for these brands to work with. And then yes, as it, um, you know, as I've sort of grown and continued working in this space and, uh, demand has, has sort of continued. Um, it's just been very important to me that in order to maintain the, the authenticity that I have with my audience and the authenticity as a sort of editor and as a creator and as a, you know, an authority in these various, uh, spaces, it's very important to me to make sure that I'm only saying yes to the things that I truly believe in. Can you give us an example of something you said no to, whether it just didn't feel like you, or is there like <laughs> red flags or, or rules of thumb in terms of uh, linking with the brand? Well, you know, for me, it I, I will say like to, to be a little bit more kind of like business oriented in the answer to that question. I mean, there are certain levers that I think about um, adjusting when I'm, when I'm, considering how I respond to a brand. Um, there's the one lever of, do I like it or do I not? Sometimes I have a very strong uh, feeling about that. I will tell you right now, I don't actually know if I was ever approached by Starbucks, but I will never work with Starbucks. It's not something that I, uh, it's not a brand that I like. It's not, it's not a brand that I frequent. I am very, very um, loyal to my local neighborhood coffee shops and my craft coffee shops. And uh, that is very important to me. So there's this sort of like first 
the you know the first binary do i like it or not but sometimes that's not that's not a clear answer sometimes there's an answer like i have done a lot of work with nespresso and nespresso is not something that i drink on a daily basis but i love having nespresso when i'm in a hotel room it's a thing that i know that i can rely on that it's going to be um the same anywhere and that i can count on it being very easy and convenient um, and I think that the the brand has actually done a lot of really great things in how they work with sourcing their beans. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a kind of gray area. But again, one of the other levers that I have to then look at is what is the value for me as a business? Um, you know, because this is something that is not necessarily the, the brand that I like first am seeking, um, I, the value has to be there financially. So, um, yeah. you know, we also then have a conversation about what the rate is and what the budget is. Um, uh, so with Nespresso, them being a global brand and, you know, me having a very specific way that it fits into my lifestyle, I need to make sure that the budget um, is, you know, tantamount to the way that I want to be able to speak to uh, that brand. But then there are other brands who, um, you know, who I just like absolutely love and adore. And I know that they won't be able to um, offer a lot of budget, but I really want to be able to support them. So I'm willing to be flexible with my pricing. Um because of the place that they sit in the market. They're not a global company that has deep pockets. Um, so there's this sort of idea of how much do I like it? What is the value? And then ultimately, like where, you know, where is the value going to be for my for my audience too? There may be a product that I I think is interesting, um, that I'm sort of experimenting with, um, that that I haven't used for a long time. An example was is um, Nourish by Nature Made, which is a vitamin company that I worked with during the pandemic. Um, you know, this was a this was a vitamin supplements company that I had only had very limited amount of relationship with, but I loved the branding. I thought that the way that they approached how you uh, how you sort of can learn about the different supplements that you need, and then they give you. Um, individualized packages for those things. I just like loved it. And I was like super excited. I I also knew that like that's something that my audience is really going to be interested in because it's sort of, you know, it solves a kind of like basic need. And um, it's a, it's a sort of like daily tool um, that I, that I think is interesting and I want to share. So there's also that idea of like, what's, what's valuable for my audience. Oh my God. As you talk, I have a million questions. Who's your audience, first of all? Oh, good question. So I have about a 50-50 split when it comes to male and female. Um, and I'd say a kind of like upper millennial audience. I fall on the like almost post-millennial audience. I turned 40 this year. Um, but I'd say probably <laughs> like mid, you know, mid-30s is kind of a sweet spot for me. Um, and I do have a very strong urban New York audience. Um, but then I, I found that I also have a very strong audience sort of across the country too. A little bit international, but definitely like across the country. People, I think, um, a lot of people found me because they were very interested in New York as a sort of dream, as a destination. And I have done a lot of work myself to sort of represent that through the lifestyle, through the places that I visit in the city and the way that I kind of exemplify New York living. Um, so I'd say it's that sort of audience who's who has a sort of aspirational travel and specifically New York-focused interest. Let's talk about how the pandemic changed all of that in terms of, yes, being out and about in New York. I know that you're moving now, and I'm assuming (laughs) your new place is very Instagrammable. But talk to me about the pandemic's uh, impact on on your process of creating content. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think, um, I mean, there are a few things that I want to say about that first. uh, It made it difficult in the sense that, you know, kind of immediately we couldn't go outside. And we had to be documenting things from within our own home, which is something I've always loved, but I haven't always kind of focused on because I have been able to get out and about. Um, And I think for a lot of people, a lot of influencers and content creators, 
that provided some challenges. Um, but, you know, as with any creative pursuit, the more kind of boundaries and challenges you have, that also means that you have more opportunity for creativity. How are you going to let those boundaries push you in new ways that you hadn't really thought of? So I think that um, just in terms of the actual content creation, there has been a lot of challenge. Um, and it's been exciting to see the different ways in which people have documented their their own spaces or used uh, you know, content that they had kind of stockpiled in interesting ways. I think that's, I think that's been really interesting. I think when it comes from, when it comes to like the working perspective and, and the working perspective and the sort of professional opportunities, you know, when COVID first hit, I think as with anybody anywhere in the world, any job, you know, things just were sort of like at a standstill. It was very unclear what was yeah. going to happen. Budgets were paused. Um, and it was really scary. We didn't really know, um, if we were like how stable this, this um, career would be. And, you know, I also had recently launched Untitled Secret, my talent management agency. Um, So starting a new business and having to go through getting the PPP loan and kind of all of those things was its own, uh, you know, created its own sort of uncertainties. But the thing that I think that we can see as we've emerged through the thick of the pandemic is we have such an amazing opportunity because we are, you know, kind of a one-stop shop when we're working with um, marketing, advertising, PR professionals who are really looking to get the word out about their product. As yep. content creators, as influencers, we can share the messaging, we can create the content, actually take the photos, maybe even create videos, and we can do so in a way that really truly connects one-on-one with our audiences. So in some ways, there's kind of no better place to be than in this space um, when it comes to, um, you know, sort of being able to activate the marketing dollars and opportunities that actually do exist and did um, kind of come back once we had kind of, you know, uh, settled in from that initial shock. So um, while it's been very challenging and really difficult, I think the the growth that we've seen as an industry has actually been um, quite significant. Yeah. So it's moment of scary time <laughs> and right. then brands coming to you. Did they, their ask um, the contract change in that they wanted maybe your images uh, for uh, placement beyond Instagram? Maybe it was going to be on their website and in campaigns. They don't have the same access to models and photographers that they used to. D- did that all change? Um, you know, I, I will say I didn't see... a ton of interest in sort of like larger kind of like out of home campaigns. I think that there's always been some interest when it comes to how can these brands be using content that they're working on creating with, uh, with influencers. So I think that they're basically the conversations did continue in that way. But, um, I think from what I saw, there wasn't as much as I was actually sort of expecting, um, but there was much more of a need for brands to find talent and individuals who maybe weren't in front of the camera that could create content, you know, in in their own spaces or in a more creative yeah. way that weren't that wasn't requiring, you know, big budget kind of production. So that definitely did happen, um, and. I, you know, we, we represent a a photographer who's on our roster who doesn't necessarily have a big social presence, but yeah, there was a lot of, there was a lot of work opportunities because, you know, he has this, essentially has a studio in his apartment and kind of can, and can create, um, you know, kind of like on demand, which is really great. 
do brands know better at this point to, I, I guess, give you a script? Was that kind of the the process for the first couple of years of influencing? And and yeah, do they just let you do your thing? You know, the funny thing is you still see every variety of how a brand wants to work with, uh, with influencers and creators. I think um, there is a lot of knowledge and I think a lot of understanding that the goal is to work with somebody who has an established audience and you, as a brand, want to let that person create content that they know will resonate with their audience. However, I still see, uh, fairly often actually, a lot of sort of dictated um, kind of like marketing verbiage and very specific kind of imagery requirements. Um, I don't always dislike that. I mean, I think there's definitely a balance. Like, I want a brand to come to the table and know you know, what their goal is and also have an idea of what their brand is and how it's sort of portrayed, you know, in social media and with individuals. But that's part of the work that you do when you're selecting the people that you work with. So you shouldn't be going to an individual with a really very tight creative brief that just doesn't work for that individual, for that talent. Um, otherwise, you've sort of selected the wrong talent to begin with. Um, so I really think it's important to have, uh, you know, a sort of framework for what you're doing. A creative brief is always wonderful. Um, but yes, you also need to understand as a brand that you're working with talent that, um, especially people who've been, you know, individuals who've been doing this for a few years or for a while, um, they have an idea, they, they have an understanding of how to do this professionally. They are professionals. They have a business doing this. So they understand um, the sort of professionalism, and they also understand how to communicate with their audience. Um, th- still to this day, I have, um, I have, uh, I, I'm required to have all of my content approved by the brands that are, um, you know, that are sponsoring the content, which is great. I mean, you're, you're paying for the content and that is, um, absolutely what you should be getting out of this, um, relationship. So, um, you know, there, there's still, things in place that have not changed. And as much as we think that there's this kind of like now understanding of how the industry works, I still often find how things haven't changed in a way where it's really about the like lack of education or understanding about what this, what this type of work means. Yes. Well, as an OG in the space, I would, I think, I would think that you've seen it all and probably have big opinions about (laughs) how, I guess, uh, newcomers, um, maybe people that do are willing to like read the script or, and also, I mean, I'm fresh from watching this fake famous, uh, documentary. (laughs) So I know that there are people who are buying followers. And anyway, would you say that the industry maybe has been, maybe not the word tainted is very, um, negative, but um, how, how would you say it's, yeah, been impacted in maybe a negative way, or maybe you see it going in a, in a dr- direction that it shouldn't be, or anyway, the state of the space. Sure. You know, I think one of the difficulties here is that we have, um, when we talk about a space, we're also talking about a mega billion dollar industry. I mean, the influencer industry, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but is, uh, you know, is moving into the 20s of billions of dollars per year as an industry in the next year or two. And so what that means, we're also, so what that means is that there are massive numbers of individuals 
and brands and dollars being transacted all of the time. But we're also working with, uh, but this is also an industry in, that is sort of ha- has a foundation of individual people. These aren't sort of like massive organizations. These are individuals. So because you, because we have this, um, this industry that is, has so many kind of like loose ends and is composed of so many different individuals, ultimately, yes, you're going to have um, some difficulties and, uh, and there's not going to necessarily be standardization that you might hope or um, you might not be able to kind of prevent some of the, you know, the more nefarious sides of the industry. I'm, um, I, as you may know, I'm the, uh, the chair of the board of directors for the American Influencer Council. And, uh, that's a recently formed trade organization that, you know, one of, you know, one of the many things that we're looking to do as a trade organization is exactly like combat these sort of questions or, um, these sort of fears that we're talking about here. There's a lot of work that needs to be done just in terms of standardization, in terms terms of professionalization, in terms of education within the industry. And because it's such a massive industry in which so much money is spent and just um, includes so many different individuals, that's a lot of work. But, you know, I don't think that you could, um, you could be a part of any industry that's sort of like formed in this way that wasn't going to offer its share of challenges. Um, so that's really where I see, where I see things going. I think that there's a lot of value in, in this industry. Um, I don't think it should be the place that marketing teams rely on for their full marketing budget. And I think that there's a lot of work to be done in terms of, um, you know, making it even better than it is. Well, let's circle back. You mentioned some of the other platforms that you're dabbling in. I did not hear a TikTok mentioned. Um, (laughs) I did, however, yeah, see that you are on Clubhouse. So I would assume that there's pressure to maybe have a presence on every emerging platform. But tell me about that balance. Yeah, totally. I mean, so the way that I have to navigate this uh, is twofold. One is from my own perspective as a content creator. And absolutely, there is pressure from myself and from the industry and from the platforms and from my peers to be joining these platforms as soon as they launch. Um, This is my livelihood. So in order to maintain an audience, grow an audience, maintain relevancy, um, there's a lot of pressure to, to sort of hop on board and create content. I also then look at these things from the perspective of an agency founder. I have a roster of about 15 talent at the moment. And it's important that, um, that the, the managers who are directly managing these talent and I and our team understand what these platforms are, that we also are encouraging the talent to sort of, um, you know, use and, um, sort of explore these new, these new platforms. Um, but then there's also one other side of this, which is I have to think about my own personal well-being. And, you know, I think that there's, um, you know, I think that this is a sort of issue that maybe isn't talked about as much, or at least there are, there's, there's less of a kind of like framework for understanding how to approach your own, um, you know, your personal well-being and your mental health. Um, I have sort of made a decision for myself that while it could be valuable for business to really join and, you know, make a splash in any of these platforms, I'm going to decide to use the ones that, um, that I just, that make the most sense to me, that are enjoyable, that I sort of like get intuitively. And the ones that I don't, um, that's okay. 
it's okay if I don't spend a lot of time. I was actually obsessed with TikTok kind of sort of early on or like early mid stages about a year and a, a year and a half ago. Um, and I really, really loved it. But in order to make TikTok work, you just have to be on the platform all the time. You have to understand the way it works. You have to know the memes. You have to like speak the language. And that was just something that I was not able to do because my career spans both being a creator and an entrepreneur and um, you know, the chair of a board for an industry organization. So I have to decide at a certain point what are the things that make sense for me and what what don't. Um, that being said, yeah. I love Clubhouse and I'm thinking about starting a you know weekly Clubhouse um, club. Uh, so, well, I got to talk about Untitled Secret. Tell me first of all, did you always have an agent? When did you find it necessary to find a manager? Yes, were you handling things on your own for a long time? I was handling things on my own for a while, and it was when I just found that it was too much to handle, that there was uh, there were too many opportunities, the email inbox was always full, that I decided uh, I needed to find someone. Fortunately, at that time, I had become uh, quite friendly with the woman who was my first manager. Her name is Melanie Alterescu. She um, also worked at Condé Nast like I did back in the day, and... Um, we had sort of crossed paths in some professional capacities a few times, and I just realized that she, with her skill set being on the business side of the publishing industry, which I saw as so similar to what was happening in social media, I just described to you this idea of having my editorial content and my advertising content. Um, that's a sort of you know publishing um, paradigm. And uh, so I really thought that she understood how to work with brands and would be creative about how to help build these relationships um, from a social media standpoint. Um, so I did find an individual, a person. She was not attached to any agency. She was sort of working, um, you know, on a kind of freelance consultant basis for me. And we became very close. And, and it was a really wonderful relationship. And I learned a lot. And I think one of the things that I really valued about that time is that I wasn't working with somebody who'd, who had sort of... Um, he was an industry veteran, which of course, you know, within the influencer space, that wasn't really a possibility, but, you know, within maybe talent management, that was a possibility or even social media agencies, that was a possibility. Um, and for me, I really, you know, I was, I really felt that I was kind of blazing my own trail and I, I wanted somebody who was going to work hand in hand with me to be creative, to figure out how to build these opportunities with partners in ways that uh, maybe were larger in scope than what the partners were coming to me for. Um, maybe were more creative in building into parts of my own personal life and my creative output that wasn't sort of apparent at first glance if you're just looking at my Instagram feed. So that kind of like yeah. creative business opportunity was something that I really valued about that relationship. And I think that was really a kind of blueprint for um, for me as years later, I decided to, to found my my own agency. Well, tell me about the influencers that you represent, first of all. Um, Rocky Barnes, major. Yes, totally. <laughs> um, yes. Are you representing a range? Mega influencers, micro influencers, all these labels that I'm sure you love. Totally. Yeah. You know, one of the things that is important for us is that we really are working with individuals that we think are just really incredible, creative humans and professional people who sort of happen to have a strong digital footprint. Um, that is ultimately what our purpose is in, in managing talent is really just working with people that we believe in. And sort of what I described earlier is I really am interested in this idea of, 
um, you know, you maybe start out in as an influencer or in social media. Um, but what is what is a long term opportunity? How do you make this a sustainable career? How do you grow your brand in ways that doesn't just rely on your kind of social media, you know, visibility? Um, and so, you know, it's important to work with people who have, you know, who have a that je ne sais quoi is talent who are able to sort of do that. So yeah, I mean, we work with incredible people, um, Rocky Barnes, Rayson Bowden, who's an Olympic fencer, uh, Chrissy Rutherford, who is a former contributor at Harper's, um, nice. Christina Caradona. We have uh, people who are really owning their own lane, whether it's fashion or cocktails like Elliot Clark, apartment bartender. Um, or um, a chef like Amanda Fredrickson. Um, we really want people who are really strong and kind of owning their lane, as opposed to as an agency focusing on sort of one vertical. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, and I'm really, I'm really proud of. Um, also, I don't think they've even made it on our website yet. The way that we're growing, um, we just signed um, Sean Garrett, who your users, your followers might know because he's so big yeah. in the beauty space. He's a Fenty skin ambassador currently. Um, yeah. So we 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 signed Sean. We signed um, a musician. Her name is Soko. She's a musician and actor. And um, awesome. you know, we're really again looking to to work with talent that are. Um, capable and strong, but also, you know, not necessarily people who you might consider influencers kind of off the bat. I think Rayson Bowden is a good example. He's an Olympic athlete. Um, he has done a really incredible advocacy work um, in the space of social justice. Um, and he has, a, he has a gorgeous Instagram feed, but that wasn't really sort of, um, you know, his bread and butter working on brand partnerships. But we, we see the brand kind of working as a whole, and all of these things should be taken into account. And we really want to work with our talent to develop them so that they can, um, so that they can transact on many different levels, whether, whether that is, you know, digital partnerships or, you know, what are the more kind of traditional opportunities that we can find for them? Definitely. It made me go ding. I'm really thinking about when you're, when you talk about these people as their brand and kind of owning their own, I guess, space or owning their own lane. Um, for me, it, I, I'm thinking that there's a lot of opportunity there for not only collaborations, but in terms of uh, eventually launching their own brand. But um, whether that be a product brand or whatever. First of all, for yourself, have you have you done a lot of collaborations where it has your name on it? Um, I have done. I have done some. It's never been the thing that um, I have been kind of the most excited about for whatever reason. Um, yeah. I actually have in in the coming weeks this spring. I'll be launching a collaboration with Revo Sunglasses. It'll be the Revo times a guy named Patrick, you know, sunglass. Um, Awesome. And so there are things like that that I've done as sort of, you know, kind of like one-off things here or there. Um, And I think that um, there's definitely opportunity for that in the future. Like I'm I'm certainly, um, I I still consider myself kind of, you know, mid-career in my my own brand journey. But I think the things that have always been more exciting for me are the the more kind of um, entrepreneurial endeavors when it comes to you know starting this agency the talent uh, this talent agency for a long time I had a company called Spring Street Social Society we were doing like pop up dining and performance events around the city um, I have an app called the Liquor Cabinet which is a cocktail recipe app so the ways in which I've sort of like used my energy and my visibility have sort of turned into in different directions rather than you know brand collaborations um, 
but it's definitely something that is is sort of on the horizon, I think, for when the right time comes for me. Yeah. Would you say, like, you've done your own amazing thing with Untitled Secret. Would you Are, are you encouraging your, your talent to, you know, find something you love, come up with your own thing, don't lean on brands all the time? Yeah. Well, one of the reasons that we love working with talent is because we love having these really close one-on-one relationships with everybody. And uh, there, this isn't a sort of like cookie cutter solution about how you manage talent and how you help them grow their brand or even monetize what they're already doing. It really requires... Uh, you know, day by day, week by week conversations, what's going on in their personal life? What are these creative ideas that they have? You know, it's interesting. Sometimes it, it takes months to actually like pull from talent, like what they're really excited and what they, you know, what their dreams and ambitions are. And they were maybe sort of just like, they were burying that. It was, they were, they were too scared. They were embarrassed to say something. Um, but for each talent, it's something different. You know, for one talent where, you know, we, we helped, we helped with Chrissy Rutherford, um, launch her, her newsletter that she launched earlier this year. And we have other plans for directions we're going to take her. And part of that is where we really see her capabilities as a, you know, as a creative person, but also what does she really want to do? Um, you know, does she want to, does she want to start her own brand or does she want to be on camera or, you know, maybe both, but where, where is she sitting now? That's going to kind of like make the most sense to, um, to, to sort of like forge that path in the best possible way. And with each talent is totally different. So that could be, um, that could be, you know, hosting a TV show. It could be having your own TV show. It could be, um, you know, maybe it's something even smaller being, you know, being a kind of uh, a guest host on, you know, Good Morning America. Maybe it is starting your own brand. Maybe it's your own jewelry line. Maybe it's your own skincare line. Um, it uh, it really just depends on each individual talent. But those are the things that like absolutely 100% we're excited about exploring with our talent. Well, I can't believe I haven't asked this yet. Considering the year that 2020 was, um, were you very vocal about your values as all that happened all that happened in in the states, I would say, and also um, I, I would say cancel culture at an all time high. Um, what was your experience in twenty twenty? Yeah, in terms of um, vocalizing your beliefs, the response you got from your audience. Well, I think in so many ways you can't really be in this space and um, and not vocalize your opinion to some extent. Um, you know, now to the extent to which anybody is doing that authentically versus sort of performatively um, is another question. And I think that if you're a strong follower of somebody, then you might be able to to see those differences. Um, For me personally, like absolutely, it was extremely important um, to be vocal about things that probably in the past, um, you know, were less sort of at the forefront of conversation, especially on social media it was impossible to not say something. And why would I want to not say something? Because we are at a point in our culture and in our country where these are the most important things that we are facing as a culture. And it's, uh, you know, as, as a human that cares about other people, it's important for me to, to say something. Um, you know, we also do recognize that we also can continue and want to continue talking about other things that we love, things that are maybe, you know, in the scheme of history, a little less important, like the things I'm eating or the fashion I'm wearing. But ultimately, we also know that part of the reason that 
any of us go onto social media is for inspiration. It's for escape. It's for entertainment. And we still, as content creators and as influencers, want to be able to provide that content um, and really connect with our audience in a range of different ways. Um, you know, another way that yeah. that 2020 has been really difficult is really kind of navigating how you talk about COVID and how you talk about um, the the restrictions you're placing on yourself and the way that you're just like physically moving through the world. I mean, I have traveled during 2020 and I know that it's not something that everybody agrees with. Um, yeah. And I have definitely heard from people who think that the the decisions I was making about traveling were irresponsible. As I think we all know, we've we've had to sort of um, each individually make different decisions about our our risk threshold and uh, and the actions that we take and understanding how that affects us and the other people around us. And I've tried to be very clear about what it means for me and about how I'm approaching these things. And even when I am traveling, how I'm uh, doing my best to be very conscientious in terms of not being around anybody. I've been traveling solo. Um, but I've also made decisions at certain points to travel and not post on social media, not because I felt like I was doing anything wrong, but because I would be opening up a conversation um, that I wasn't really ready to engage with. And I also, you know, kind of back to this idea of mental health. Um, I, I spent a week in Mexico by myself at a at a place that I found on boutiquehomes.com and just swam every day and didn't post a single thing on social media. And it felt really great. <laughs> and, <Yeah. fortunately, laughs> and fortunately, I've been very healthy this year. Um, so, um, you know, it is, it is a very difficult place to be in because there are constantly things that you have to navigate. And it's not just about what do you believe. It's also about how do you ensure that what you believe is actually accurately represented um, in the way that you're talking about these things. For sure. And were brands on the same page in 2020 in terms of being respectful in, ter- in what they were asking of you? Um, were they, did they have a filter? Yeah. You know, the interesting thing is I think the thing that, um, I think the thing that was most interesting about the ways that individual creators and brands interfaced during this time, um, there was never, there was never an issue with brands sort of asking for something inappropriate um, in fact, there were certain times when brands were like, oh, we had something scheduled to go live today. Let's postpone. We don't know when, but like no social media posting, no like sponsored posts, which I think was um, a smart decision. But, you know, something that we've talked a lot about at the AIC and um, internally at our in our own agency about navigating brand partnerships and contracts are actually holding the brands accountable. So it's sort of like uh, it's sort of the reverse of that. Not how are brands coming to us, but how are we going to brands and saying, um, you know, when it comes to diversity, making not only making sure that the that the brand is um, not doing anything inappropriate in in their own uh, marketing or even internally, um, but that we also have visibility into how they're handling, how they're casting their social media campaigns. If they want to work with one of our talent, a person of color, we want to make sure that they aren't coming to us because they're looking for a sort of token person of color, Um, that the other individuals that they've cast also represent um, diversity and inclusivity and, um, and that we feel really great about where the, you know, the sort of true heart of um, that business is before we say yes. We've also instituted reverse morality clauses in our contracts. So that essentially allows for any any talent to um, to extricate themselves from the agreement and potentially even get paid if um, if there's you know if that 
that brand is found at fault for any sort of, you know, extreme moral misgivings, but that could just be, you know, sort of like the problems that come to light with their own dealings with, um, you know, with, with racial inequality, things like that. Yeah, that is so interesting. We really have talked a lot about on our side about uh, brands safeguarding themselves from, I guess, controversy in terms of influencers and what they're doing. But mm, on the, right. the flip side, yeah, that totally makes sense. Um, we are so running out of time, but I have to ask, um, influencer marketing moving forward, I would say in the next, uh, let's say two years, where do you see, where do you see this um, industry going? Well, I mean, you know, there are going to continue to be more and more people joining platforms, more and more people growing audiences. So there's just going to be a wider diversity and sort of cache of influencers that you, that, you know, brands potentially could work with. And I think that there's going to continue to be sort of like splintered audiences in terms of your ability to either reach niche audiences or um, reach audiences on different platforms, different demographics. Um, the short answer is I don't think it's going anywhere. It's going to continue to grow, but it's going to be it's going to continue to be even more complicated. Um, I think that you're going to see everything that we see now, and then some. You'll see more platforms, more types of individuals. Um, and I think that it's going to continue to just be, you know, uh, the responsibility of everybody in the industry to make sure that, you know, whether you're a marketer and doing your due diligence of sort of like researching properly to make sure that you're finding the right talent or, um, you know, within the agency space ourselves, working with talent that are truly professionals that we can count on, um, that we know have a, a sort of like longer term opportunity or, um, talent yourself, making sure that you're doing your best to stand out and that you're, making use of all of the newest tools and that you truly are treating your job like the profession that it is, um, it's going to just continue to be very important. Get ready, folks. Yeah. <laughs> right on. <laughs> awesome. Well, Patrick, thank you so, so much. This was a great conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jill. I'm so, so grateful that you had me on. It's been really great. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. If you liked this episode, be sure to share it with someone else you think would. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.